Would you take that Bible? We're going to go back to the Gospel of John this morning. We've taken a few weeks off of that. But I want to return us to the Gospel of John. And I'd like to study with you this morning as we teach from the Scriptures on a weekly basis. We want to look at John 1.45 through 51 today. And then next week, I've already been working towards the wedding at Cana on John 2, 1 through 11, where Jesus turned the water into wine. But this morning, we're going to look at part four on the first disciples of Jesus. In fact, let me back you up to our previous passage and we'll begin reading. Would you follow along from 143? 143, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip, verse 45, found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. May God bless the reading of his scripture. Now John 1 is describing not only in the prologue in 1, 1 through 18, that rich theological uh, discourse there on the person of Christ, namely that he's God, namely that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And then from that point, the testimony of the Baptist takes over and John's testimony concludes in 134 where he says, I've seen and have borne witness that this is the son of God. And so we've been looking at and studying in John chapter 1 the initial experience for these disciples who would become apostles on the person of Christ. It's their first meeting with him. It's the great lessons that are, we find here. And we've looked this, you know, so far at the testimony of the Baptist. In verse 34, it's culminated. This is the Son of God. Then we spent a week on Andrew the Evangelist in verse 41, where it says one of the two who heard John speak followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Then thirdly, if you will, we looked at Peter, the leader, in verse 42 when Jesus changed his name. And then finally, the last time we were together in the Gospel of John, we looked at 43 and 44, namely around Philip, the administrator. Now, obviously, I don't mean to highlight those men and their initial experience. The, the key part in there is who they met, and who they met is the Lord Jesus Christ. But nevertheless, these are the personalities that we find in this. This is the character of the men that he called. And so this morning, I want to look at the fifth character that he meets, the fifth 
person, the fourth of the apostles that he calls, and it's Nathaniel. It's Nathaniel, and you can see it there in verse 45. Philip found Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel, I'll just call him Nathaniel the pure one. Now, what's interesting about Nathaniel, you can see it there in the text in verse 45. Philip found Nathaniel. Now, you'll note as we read from the scripture from verse 45 down through 51 is that initial experience that our Lord Jesus Christ had with Nathanael. Now, what's intriguing to me, as it is in John's gospel, is there is no other mention of any details of Nathanael in all of the gospels, okay? Which we call the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They record nothing of Daniel. They record nothing of his personality, nothing of his background, nothing of his character, only his name is mentioned. That's it. He's in the list of names of the apostles. Now, the name Nathaniel, as you see it there in 45, just means God gives. When you look at the other gospels, Nathaniel, just to make clarity for you, is the personal name for Bartholomew. Bartholomew is one of the apostles. So in the other gospels, his name is recorded as Bartholomew. And he's listed in in three of the four lists that we find in the gospels. And every time he's listed, he's right next to his good friend, Philip, who found Nathaniel. And so here we are. He is one of the apostles. His name is Nathaniel. His personal name, if you will, is Bartholomew. So all that we find on Nathaniel is here, right here, in John's gospel. He is mentioned in one other case in John's gospel, in John 21, to verse 2, where it is mentioned, and he is identified as coming from a small town in Cana, of Galilee. And so he's one of the Lord's apostles. He came from a small town, Cana of Galilee, and that will be uh, a focus as we go on in just a moment. But what I want to do is walk you through this first encounter that Jesus Christ had with Nathaniel. First meetings are always unique, are they not? And here, this meeting was marvelous. This meeting, you can say, was miraculous. And I say to you, we will never meet Nathaniel again in a sermon. In fact, I bet you if we took a survey that I passed out, it may have been that you've never heard Nathaniel preached on ever before. But that's one of the beauties of expository preaching. But what I want to do is identify Nathaniel's initial encounter with our Lord around five highlights okay, that reveal Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Five highlights that reveal Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And I would say to us that the implications of this text are enormous for us. So we're looking at Nathaniel in space, in time, in history. But the implications for you today are absolutely enormous. Now as we walk through this initial encounter, I'm going to build it around the characters that are involved, and all of that would feature on the person of Christ. But let me begin, okay, on this first highlight with Philip's joy. 
Philip's joy. I mean, if you go back in verse 43, it's interesting where it says there, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip. And so Jesus was very purposeful. He goes to Galilee. He, the person of Christ, found Philip. But here's Philip's joy. Philip, verse 45, found Nathanael. And he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, it's intriguing there that Philip found Nathanael. It's not the purpose of the text, but he found Nathanael and he witnessed to him. And it's not just that he witnessed to him. This is a friend of Philip's. This is a friend. And the word entails, when it says that he found Philip, a purposeful action on his part. So in other words, as Jesus came into Galilee and found Philip, Philip, on his part, with purposeful action, found Nathanael. And he found the Messiah, and now he's bringing, if you will, the Messiah to another. So Philip thought after encountering the Messiah that Nathanael just had to meet Jesus. He would be thrilled. And so Philip had a passion to tell his friend regarding the great news of the one he just met. And he immediately pursued him and brought, if you will, Nathanael to the Messiah. They must be, as I mentioned, close friends. In each list of the Gospels, their names are linked together. And whether these friends are business partners or family friends, we don't know, but they're very, very close. Now, what strikes you immediately in this text is I'm struck by the fact that when Philip found Nathanael, it's interesting what he said to him. He said to him, again in verse 45, we found of him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, which tells you this, it's just an easy observation. Philip studied the scripture. He studied the scripture. In fact, more than study the scripture, more than read the scripture, he knew the scripture. He knew of Moses. He knew of the law. He knew of the prophets, and he knew that both Moses and the law and the prophets foretold the coming of the Messiah. And what Philip is now saying to Nathanael is he found the one prophesied in Moses, in the law, and in the prophets. We found him of whom? Now, when you read that in verse 45, we found him of whom and so forth. It is in what we call the, in the original language, the emphatic position. In other words, it's placed up front. It's very vivid in his mind as John records it for us. And John records it for us in the original language in the dramatic present tense. And so here I just titled this Philip's Joy. I mean, this is what happens when new people get saved When people encounter Christ, they're the ones who are witnessing. And so once Philip encountered Christ, he had absolute joy to go tell Nathaniel. Now you'll note there, look back in the text, just a little footnote as we build a little platform. You'll notice what he said. He didn't say, I found him of whom Moses wrote. 
you'll notice that he did say, we found him. And he puts it in the plural. He's talking about that gathering apostolic band, which at this point we'd call the disciples, the one whom Jesus was meeting that week. And he already includes himself as part of that. Now the point here that he's making is that Jesus fulfills all Old Testament prophecy. In other words, beloved, all the scriptures pointed to him. And it wasn't just the prophets that pointed to him all over in Isaiah, all over in Isaiah 53, Isaiah 9. But the law pointed to Christ. And when he mentions the law there, I really think that he's dealing with the Pentateuch. He's dealing with what we call the Pentateuch. This is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So here's what Philip's saying to his buddy. Listen, we found him. We found the one that the law talked about. We found the one that the prophets talked about. We found the one in whom Moses spoke about. Now, he doesn't tell you which passage in the law, but if you looked over, don't now, but excuse me, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, it could be that he's referring to that passage where a prophet would come all over Deuteronomy 18. Genesis chapter 21 also excuse me, Genesis 28, as well as Genesis 51, speak of a coming prophet. To these and much more did the prophets prophesy of the coming Messiah. I think it's interesting. One writer said, he said that it's interesting that Philip didn't say, quote, I I found a man who has a wonderful plan for your life. He didn't say, I found a man who has a wonderful plan for your marriage. He didn't say, I found a man who can make you happy and who can bless you. It's interesting what's on Philip's mind as he goes and gets Nathaniel. He says, I found him, the one that Moses talked about, the one that the law talked about, the the one that the prophets spoke about. Rather, Philip here spoke to his friend on the basis of Scripture, the basis of Old Testament prophecy, because that's what both of them were after. They were seekers of the truth, seekers of the Messiah himself. You know, it's interesting. It's actually very intriguing that almost all of the disciples that at least we meet here, that that we encounter, had a heart, as we've looked previously, for the coming Messiah. And these are the men whom the Lord went after when he called together a group of men who would later become his apostles who would change the world. And we noted that most of them were probably apostles of John the Baptist first. Listen, here's what I'm saying to you. I think Philip studied for hours. I think Nathaniel studied for hours. These were Jewish people longing for the consolation of the Messiah. I think they poured over the law. I think they poured over the prophets. I think they poured over Moses' men more than they did their fantasy football picks. Not trying to incur any guilt, okay? I think these guys were passionate. And so when I said Philip's joy, I think he was so pumped. We found him. And look who it is they found. Look at the text in 45. We found who the prophets wrote about in the law. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, this is not odd for 
uh, Philip to say Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. In fact, it would be very common that in the first century, you would identify somebody this way in Palestine. Philip, watch this, names the man, he names his village, and he names his father. It's a very understandable background. Jesus, the common name is Yeshua in the Aramaic. That's his name. We would say that that name Yeshua, or when it says Jesus, is the name Joshua in the Old Testament. That name, and I'm just speaking of Jesus, means Yahweh is salvation. So here when Philip finds Nathaniel, he says, we found him. We found, if in essence, the one who is our salvation. Then secondly, you'll note there under this joy, he said, we found the son of Joseph. Now that's his surname that we know. I don't think that's odd. You and I both know that he was born a virgin birth. He had a miraculous birth birth, but nevertheless, legally, legally, he is the son of Joseph, and surnames were derived from their father, though you and I know he was virgin born. And then he identifies him, look, as the place, Jesus of what? Nazareth. Now, you well know, Grace Church, I believe you do, that he was born where? (laughs) He's born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in what? Nazareth, okay? And he grew up there. He was born in Bethlehem, as the prophets foretold, but after he was born there, he was raised in Nazareth. And I think just that phrase, Jesus of Nazareth, potentially, and I think in the text, caught Nathaniel by surprise. So I take you from Philip's joy, secondly, to Nathaniel's bewilderment. Nathaniel's bewilderment. Look at verse 46. Nathaniel said to him, said to who? His friend, Philip. Can anything good come out of what? Nazareth. Now, how do you understand that? Well, we know from the text, John 21, 2, that Nathanael was from Cana, okay? And Cana, if you can picture Galilee, and by the way, getting a trip ready for 2018. Do you want to go? I'll take you to these places. But, but Cana, okay, is just another Galilean town, if you will. And the Galileans despised Nazareth. And what's interesting in that is the people from Judea despised the Galileans. And so we got a little bickering going on here amongst the Jewish people and the towns going on. One historian said this about Nathaniel's comment. He says, this is not rational, speaking of Nathaniel, This is not a biblical objection that Nathaniel's bringing. He said it was based on sheer emotion and bigotry. Other scholars say that his comment, can anything good come out of Nazareth, was a form of prejudice. It reveals contempt Nathaniel had for the whole town of Nazareth. But what's interesting with that is, frankly, Cana wasn't such a prestigious town either. I mean, to this day, even where he was from is utterly, one man said, unexceptional. Cana was off the beaten track while Nazareth was at least at a crossroads. No one ever passed through Cana, and so it was absolutely insignificant. And I think here, beloved, Nathaniel's prejudice against Nazareth reflects, I am sure, not so much a biblical problem, obviously, but a local rivalry between the towns. Maybe it would be like the football team from Kingsburg saying, we're taking on Selma, (laughs) and I don't like Selma. 
you know, there's a little bit of that inner, you know, town rivalry, especially in sports. I think that's what you have here. In other words, Nathaniel didn't quote Micah where it says that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. But when he said he's Jesus of Nazareth, his response, his bewilderment, his bewilderment was, I can't believe it. Inconceivable for a man like Nathaniel. Messiah from Nazareth? I mean, isn't, and I'm speaking, if, if you will, for Nathaniel, isn't that a little tacky? The Messiah would come from Nazareth? That way out of the people, uh, that way out of the place group of people? There are some scholars who think that the town of Nazareth was less than 2,000 people. I mean, think about that. That's where Jesus was raised. And I think Nathaniel was thinking, are you kidding me? Is this for real? You found the one who Moses and the law and the prophets wrote and he came from Nazareth? But what's interesting is how Philip handles this argument. Look again in the text. He doesn't argue with him. He just says, he said, come and what? See. I love that little phrase. Come and see. Jesus used it earlier when they said in chapter one, where are you saying? Come and you will see. I love what the great scholar Bruce said. Here, he said, honest inquiry is a sovereign cure for prejudice. He said, Nazareth might be all that Nathaniel thought, but there is an exception to prove every rule. And Bruce said, what an exception these young men found. So come and you will see. And I say to you this morning that, listen, this is not only a a challenge to Nathaniel. This is also an invitation to you. Some of you have been coming the last month and you're just not quite sure all that the Lord is doing in your heart. I've had some people come up to me and say, I I can't quite describe what's going on inside me. I can't describe. I feel like I've either, something's going on, they can't explain it. And I say to you that what he said to Nathaniel, come and you will see. You come and we'll see who Christ is as we march through the gospel of John. And so here was Philip's joy set alongside Nathaniel's bewilderment, which leads thirdly here to God's revelation. God's revelation. Watch the text unfold. It says in verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. I love that phrase. He calls him an Israelite. That's not bizarre he's not trying to make any distinction there between who's a jew who's not a jew he just calls him an israelite it's a fairly common way in this day to refer to a jewish person but what makes nathaniel unique is what jesus said look at it again he said an israelite indeed here's the key in whom there is no deceit in other words as he looks at him as he saw him coming to him if you will he called out he said his name behold here's this one coming in whom there is no guile there is no deceit and he's not referring to his physical descent as an israelite but he's referring to this man in his character who's without guile who's without deceit who's at without duplicitous motives who is not a phony who is not a hypocrite In fact, what's interesting, and you'll stay with me as he goes down to verse 51 and he talks about heaven being opened and the angels of God ascending and descending. You remember that comes, and I'll get to that later, in Genesis 28 where it was Jacob 
who saw the angels of God ascending and descending on that ladder. And I think he's referring to that incident in verse 51. Now, what's fascinating to me is the word Jacob. You know what he's called in the scripture. It says that he was deceitful. It's, in fact, his name is, is referred to as the deceiver, if you will. And so here, the point is, in this passage, is that this particular Jewish man, Nathaniel, if you will, was free from such duplicity. I'm thinking of Psalm 32 when it says, in whose spirit, blessed is the man, in whose spirit there is no deceit. That's Nathaniel. One commentator said this, it's as if Jesus was saying, look, Israel, speaking of Jacob, because you know that Jacob was later, his name was later changed to what? Israel. It's, it's as though here Jesus is saying, look, Israel, without a trace of Jacob left in him. Speaking of Nathaniel, he was genuine. In other words, I'm just revealing the character out of the text. He was sincere. There was something in Nathaniel, the pure one, if you will, that he had no pretense or false motive. This young man, this young Jewish man had a pure heart. He was an authentic Jew. And listen, I would say it was rare in their day. Sadly, this is rare in our day. And you remember, beloved, that Jesus ripped the religious elite of the day. Why? They were plagued by hypocrisy. But here, as Jesus Christ lays eyes on this man and his heart, he said, here is a man without deceit. Here is, we use that phrase, the real deal. It's Nathaniel. Now, obviously, it doesn't mean that he's perfect, but Jesus is struck by the fact that this man has no ulterior motive. Listen, he may have been blunt in his criticism of Nazareth, but he was an Israelite without duplicitous motives who was willing to examine for himself the claims being made about the person of Christ. And so here's God's revelation in Christ. I see you without deceit. You say, well, what did Nathaniel say to that? Well, look at the text. Verse 48, Nathaniel's taken back. He said, how do you what? Know me. Now, I take it to mean that Jesus' assessment of Nathaniel was spot on. Jesus is God. He's spot on. And I think Nathaniel was stunned by that. It's, it's a miraculous insight, if you will, into his heart. He was stunned by that revelation. I mean, what, what strikes you there just at the beginning is, if you go to a funeral, and I go to a funeral, people give eulogies sometimes, and it's stated after that particular man or after that particular woman, citing the character after the fact. But imagine our Lord Jesus Christ saying to you, as you walk up to him and are introduced to him, he gives this accreditation, accreditation to you without even really knowing you. So he says, how do you know me? Well, look what Jesus said. Look back at the text, verse 48. Jesus answered him, Philip, or before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, what? I saw you. Here is divine omniscience. Here is God's revelation in Christ. Nathaniel knew that Jesus wasn't physically under that fig tree. Okay? He knew that, you know, or that he didn't see him under that tree. And in a flash, 
Nathanael realized that he was standing in the presence of someone who was greater than himself. Now, there's much written. I won't, I won't uh, go into the details. There's much written on the fig tree. How was it that Christ saw him under the fig tree supernaturally? So watch this. Not only does Jesus see inside his heart, inside your heart, he sees everything about Nathanael, even when he's under the fig tree, when there was no way that Christ would have observed that in the text, and that's why Nathanael is so surprised. Now, many commentators go on page after page after page on what he was doing under the fig tree. Now, listen, there's, there's, there's volumes and pages written on this, that the fig tree was a symbol of peace, that the fig tree often resided outside of a Jewish home. There's other people say that the fig tree was a place of worship where people would study the prophets and the law looking for the Messiah. There's lots of theories on what the fig tree is, and to me it actually seems a bit irrelevant to me. But what you do have here is Jesus reveals his supernatural knowledge of Nathanael under the fig tree when he had no sight of him. He sees not only into his heart, he sees his every action. Now this is not new through the gospel. I can take you on to other places. Look over at John chapter 2 at Jesus Christ and his supernatural knowledge. Remember when the Jews said to him in 2.18, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them in 2.19, destroy this temple in three days. I will what? Raise it up. He's telling you what's going to happen. He's telling you, you can destroy this temple, not the physical temple. You can destroy the temple of my body, but in three days, I'm going to rise it up. He knew he was going to rise from the dead. That's supernatural knowledge. Look over at chapter four, just a few places. We'll catch these as we go through. But remember the woman at the well, you certainly remember that. I can't wait till we get there. Remember when Jesus said to her in 416, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman said to him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right saying I have no husband. And in 4.18, for you have had what? Five husbands. I'm telling you, it must have took her breath away. You're right, you have no husband. Because the five you had, you're not married to. He's looking into her heart supernaturally. He's looking into the motives. He's looking in here in this case. He knew that that woman did not have five husbands. And it must have pierced her. She said in verse 17, you are right, I have no husband. Jesus even said in 4.18, for the one you now have is not your husband when what you have said is true. I mean, we've seen all the things I trust on the news with that internet site that provided an escort business for men and women to be unfaithful to their spouse, Ashley Madison. And somebody hacked the computer and I think it brought up 600 thousand names that people went in and went on that site. The purpose of the site was to have an extramarital affair. Listen, God doesn't need that site to tell us anything, does he? God knows exactly what we're doing. God knows in Christ here exactly who that woman was. And so he knows that knowledge. Look over at chapter 6 of John. Chapter 6, I'm just highlighting this for you. We'll touch on it again in chapter 6 and verse 64. Okay, he said, Jesus said, as he was talking about the words of eternal life, he said, there are some of you who do not believe. Now, I can say there's some of you here who do not believe, um, but Jesus knew, because look at the next phrase in 664. Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and who it was who would what? Betray him. Don't think Judas took him by surprise. He knew Judas would betray him. 
And so here you have this supernatural revelation. There's other passages, and it identifies his supernatural God-given revelation to Nathaniel, and I think it caught him off guard. He says to Nathaniel, go back to John chapter 1. I know your heart, but I also know your location. I see you. And so after this was revealed, look at the fourth element here, is Nathaniel's confession. Nathaniel's confession. It's incredible. Verse 49. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, look at this. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, all of a sudden, it changes a little bit from just being encountered by Christ. He now recognizes, he's not quite sure what to do. He calls him rabbi. It's much more respectful than can any good thing come out of Nazareth. He calls him rabbi. But then Nathaniel, beloved, amazingly says, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. In other words, he saw the omniscient, all-knowing power of our Lord, and he recognized him as none other than the long-awaited Messiah prophesied in Moses, the law, and the prophets. Here's Nathaniel's confession. He indeed is the Son of God. He is indeed the King of Israel. This one is indeed the Savior of the world. It is a remarkable confession. Listen, Nathaniel, in this statement, in this scripture, is speaking in the most exalted language possible for another to say. In other words, Nathaniel is saying, he is my king, okay? He is the king of Israel, and he is my king. And so I would ask you, is that your confession? It's really the only proper confession to make. He is the Son of God. He is the King of Israel. He acknowledges that Jesus is the Messiah, have you? He acknowledges, and this is the whole point of why John put this in the Gospel, is that He is the promised one that the Scriptures bore witness to. And the the use of the Son of God demonstrates the Messiah is found in other passages such as 1 Samuel 26, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. All over when it talks about in the law and the prophets and Moses, it addresses the Son of God. He is that one. He is the Son of God. He is the King of Israel. And he calls him the King of Israel. And you see that foretold in Psalm 2 where it speaks of the Son and the King of Israel being given by God. That's the prophecy. It says in Zephaniah 3.15, The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared your way, cleared away your enemies. And there Zephaniah 3.15 calls the Messiah the King of Israel. So you got it in Psalm 2, Zephaniah 3.15. Zechariah 9.9 says, Shout aloud, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. It says that he is humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And we know that that was fulfilled on Palm Sunday. But you recognize that the beginning of that verse in Zechariah 9.9, it says a king is coming to you. Beloved and maybe even guest and visitor, I'm telling you that the king has come. He is the king. He is the son of God. He is the promised one out of the scriptures. He is the one the scriptures foretold. All of the scriptures is revealing the person of Christ to us. And so Nathaniel in this remarkable God-given confession after the miraculous was revealed that Christ knew his heart and knew as he said under the fig tree, he professes and that is the confession, you are the king of Israel. 
It reminds me in John 12, 13 later, where they will take out palm trees and they went out to meet him and they cried out, Hosanna, blessed he is he who comes in the name of the Lord, comma, even the king of Israel. Jesus Christ is the king. Remarkable confession. Have you made that confession? Listen, you may have been coming for some weeks. You may come on September 20th and hear these 10 baptismal testimonies of what God has done, but that is why this is included. Everything was written that you would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord and Savior. Now, what's more remarkable than even the confession is Jesus' declaration number five. His declaration, look at the declaration in verse 50. He says, Jesus answered him, he said, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you, what did Jesus say? Believe. He said, you will see greater things than these. Listen, let me just stop there for a second. It's the first case, and it's not that the other disciples didn't believe. But it's the first case in John's gospel where someone actually believed. In other words, it took a long time to roll out who Christ was in the whole gospel, life, death, resurrection. But Jesus said that Nathanael here believed on the basis of not only knew what was in his heart, but he knew him under the fig tree. Jesus said to him, you will see greater things, okay? So here's his declaration. You re- he, he's saying to Nathanael, even though you marvel at this miracle of my divine omniscience, you will see far greater things than these, In other words, as one man of God said, this is far more than a cheap trick of a clairvoyant. This is not somebody on a stage doing magic in Las Vegas. This is not some clairvoyant. This is not some demon-inspired people where demons talk out of people's mouths and come up with things on a supernatural way. This is holy God. This is Jesus Christ. And because I did that, you believe, listen, he says to Nathaniel in his declaration, you're going to see far greater things. And he's going to start the far greater things. I don't know if this is an illusion. Look in your Bible at chapter 2. I have a little header at the beginning of mine. Is the wedding at where? It's at Cana. It's in his hometown. Do you, you marvel at what you just saw, that I know your heart and that I knew you were under the fig tree? Listen, I'm going to tell you far greater things and what you're going to find, beloved, not just in John's gospel, but in all the gospels. Jesus Christ, I think I can add up, perform 37 miracles in the gospel. What a, what a wonderful picture. In other words, you're going to see a greater vision than the patriarch of Israel. You say, why Israel? You're going to see a greater revelation than what Jacob saw. Because look at the text in the last verse, 51. He said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Wonderful, wonderful statement. He, he said to him there, and it's the first time in John's gospel, and do you ever see that phrase there uh, where he says, truly, truly? It's only in John's gospel, which is interesting. It's not in the other Gospels, in the synoptics. You, you say, I've seen that before. Well, you've seen it in the Gospel of John, and he uses the double amen is what the word means. Amen and amen. And Jesus is establishing the significance of the statement that he is about to utter. utter. 
In other words, this is true. This is trustworthy. This will come to pass. It has been uttered by God. It has been uttered, if you will, by his son. And you, look what Jesus says there back in 51. It says that I say to you, stop there just for a second. I don't want to make a big deal. You think, well, you think, well, he's saying that Nathaniel. He certainly is. But the you there in the original language is plural. It's plural. In other words, I'm saying it to you, Nathaniel, but I'm saying it to you, plural, probably referring to all of the disciples. In other words, he's telling the disciples, you will see greater things than these. In other words, Jesus says to him, you haven't seen anything yet. And it's interesting, and I don't have the time to go into this full effect, but he takes Nathaniel back about 2,000 years, and he takes him back to Jacob's ladder. Now, you remember Jacob's ladder, okay? Remember where he laid down and slept on a rock and on that dream he saw a ladder that reached from the earth all the way to heaven and on that ladder there were angels of God descending and ascending on it and that was his dream. And he woke up and he said, this is a marvelous place. I really believe that's what he's referring to here. So it's interesting that Jacob, whose name means the deceiver, is set alongside, whom the name Israel came out of, is set alongside a true Israelite, Nathaniel, in whom there is no deceit. Now you remember the context there in Genesis 28. Jacob was fleeing for his life from his brother, who? Esau. Esau is after him, so he thinks. And so he gets under this, he goes to bed, he, it says that he came to a certain place, just you follow as I read it. It says that he took one of the stones in that place, he put it under his head, he lay down in that place to sleep. And as he dreamed, behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, it says there, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. And so as the angels of God ascended and descended on Jacob, who was later renamed Israel, it was a sign, if you will, to Jacob, listen, affirming God's revelation to him or reaffirming his faithfulness to Jacob that he had given originally and made to Abraham, who was the great patriarch. So here is what Jesus is saying is he's saying to the disciples, I'm promising you further confirmation of Jesus' messianic identity. In other words, when he woke up from the dream, here's what Jacob said. He said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, Jacob said. This is, he said in Genesis 28, 17, the gate of heaven. And at that moment when he woke up from that vision and dream, he renamed that place to be Bethel. And Bethel, of course, means the house of God. Now, listen, what Jesus tells Nathaniel then is that he himself, he himself will be the place of much greater revelation than given on previous occasions. In other words, Jesus Christ is going to mediate, if you will, a greater revelation than Abraham, whom the Jews loved, John 8, 58. He's going to give greater revelation, will Christ, than Jacob in John chapter 4. He's going to be a greater revelation than Moses himself. He's going to be a greater revelation, John 12, than Isaiah. Jesus, he's saying, is the new Bethel. Jesus is the place where God is revealed, 
where heaven and earth come together and where God and mankind meet. That's the point. Jesus says to Nathaniel, he said, just as Jacob saw the angels descending and ascending on that ladder, Jesus says to Nathaniel, I am that ladder. And Nathaniel, you will see the angels ascending and descending upon me. In other words, our Lord states in no unmistaken words, I am the ladder that connects heaven to earth. Now, there's a lot of people who don't believe that. There's a lot of people who think there's many ways to God. But Jesus goes on in other places to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And in this passage, he cites this example because he's saying, I am the ladder that connects heaven to earth. I am the mediator between God and the human race. I am the link between heaven and, the, and earth. Heaven is revealed and brought to earth in the person of Christ. And I think it's a figurative way of stating that Christ obviously will reveal heaven to us. And so he says he's the son of man. In other words, this is who he is. Now, you say, Scott, what's my takeaway here as we walk into communion? Listen, this fulfills the purpose of John's gospel. Look over at John chapter 20. Would you do that just for a second? I usually cite it every week, but this is the purpose of the gospel. And here's the... the, the meaning of the text for us today. Now, it says in 20, verse 30, 20, 30, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. He said in 20, 31, but these are written that you may, what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Listen, if you're new to us, have you believed that Jesus is the Messiah? Have you believed that he is the Son of God? Listen, for those who believe that he's the Son of God, those who believe that he is the Messiah, you will have life in his name. So listen, Nathaniel's declaration Lord's declaration is bearing witness to the fact that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And my question for you is, have you trusted that truth? Have you trusted that truth? He is more than a rabbi. He is the King of Israel. And I ask you, are you in submission to him even now? Is your life under his lordship even now? Have you submitted to this one? This and the reason this is entailed in here is for us to get a proper picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. So number one, I just would ask you, are you in submission to the Son of God this morning? Are you in submission to the King of Kings? Are you in submission to the Lord of Lords? Are you in submission to the divine Son of Man who was prophesied in Daniel chapter 7? And let me just ask you a practical question. Are you, this is just a secondary application because Philip found Nathaniel. Are you telling others about Christ? Who's in your heart to invite to our service on September 20th? Who do you want to come hear 10 testimonies, predominantly of young people whose life been transformed? If Philip found Nathaniel, and I'm asking myself, Scott, who are you telling? Who are you reaching out to? Who are you cultivating a gospel conversation with? And it could be that you're here this morning and you say, I, 
I don't know. Well, then maybe you need to come to Men's Equippers starting on September 23rd so we can find out how to have those gospel conversations. Here's what Spurgeon said. It just convicts me. He said, love your fellow men. He said, cry about them if you cannot bring them to Christ. He said, if you cannot save them, you can weep over them. If you cannot give them a drop of cold water in hell, you can give them your heart's tears while they are still in this body. End of quotes. Spurgeon went on to say, listen to his heart. He said, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish, Spurgeon said, with our arms around them and our arms around their knees, imploring them to stay. He said, if hell must be filled, at least let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Listen, that's the heart we need. Listen, we exist. We said it this morning in missions class to extend his kingdom and you're part of that. And I, and I want you to know, I'm, I'm just so thankful for you because there's no way we end up with what we end up with at Summerfest and Kids Fest unless you're bringing people. There's no way when I look at our youth group and when I meet family after family, every Sunday I see what the Lord's doing. So listen, excel still more. But listen, what if all of our church was like that? What if you were on fire? Men, what if you were more fired up about this than fantasy football? Women, what if you were more fired up about the law and the prophets? And I'm preaching this. Can you imagine what could happen to this place? We might not be able to meet in here next week. But listen, we have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to tell. It's what we did in the missions class. We're to go into all the world and make disciples of how, how many? All nations. And it begins in our backyard. So listen, I just want to encourage you. Number one, it reveals Christ to us. Have you submitted to him? Number two, it ought to encourage us to, to share, okay? And listen, if you're here and you're new with us, I don't want you to, I'm so glad you're coming. I, you say, what would I say to you if you're new to us? Come and you will see. You come every week. You sit under the teaching of the word of God, but either Jesus Christ is the truth or he's the greatest liar in the world. And you have to make up your mind because this is what the scriptures is telling us, that he is the truth, that he is the son of God. I mean, you can just go back up all the way in John. He's Logos, is he not? He's the true light which enlightens every man. He's the lamb of God. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. He's the Messiah. He's the one who Moses and the prophets all wrote about. This is who he is. 